Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories, episode number 37, this time out. This is going to be another two-part sets of episodes featuring another local songwriter. If you caught my last couple of episodes with Elisa Feynman and Kimball Hurd in episodes 35 and 36, we talked about uh, their songwriting collaboration, her influences, and then they played a couple of tunes. This time we're going to feature another songwriter, a guy who's really become one of my basically favorite writers in general the last couple of years, uh, Barry, a favorite, Chuck McCabe. I first met Chuck, I think it's been at least three years, when his last CD, Sweet Reunion, came out. I went to a CD release party, we got to talking, and then we were emailing back and forth about song ideas, and then he he emailed back and he said, are you the guy that runs that wooden nickel open mic in Watsonville? And I said, yep, that was me. So he came down and played a few tunes one night and, you know, wowed and impressed everybody. And so we've been in touch. And um, Chuck's about to release his fifth CD called Creatures of Habit. It comes out, I think they're done as we speak. But um, here locally, he's doing a couple of back-to-back house concerts next weekend, July 25th and 26th. On July 25th, he'll be at the True Wind Music Series, the house concert series in Campbell, California. And on Saturday, July 26th, he'll be at the Canyon Acoustic Society House Concert Series a little farther down the road in Royal Oaks, California. If you want more information about those two concerts, you can go to my website, michaelgather.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com. Uh, there, are, there are some links to go to those those websites for the, the house concert reservations as well, as well as Chuck's site and CDs as well. Uh, Chuck's one of those guys who, he, he makes writing funny songs look very easy. And if you've written funny songs, they're not that hard to pull off without sounding forced. And he's done it quite a few times. He's known for that. Um, he's got this real gentle style that kind of, it kind of sneaks up on you because he's actually a great guitar player, a great writer. And once you start watching him, you realize this guy's a real craftsman. He, he's really at the top of his game. And uh, it's, it's very inspiring to watch and listen to. So instead of babbling about the artists like I usually do, I'm going to let you hear something, and then we're going to go right into our, our first conversation here with Chuck. I'm going to play you a track off his last CD, Sweet Reunion. Uh, besides writing just funny songs, he, he's also um, got a serious side. His, his song, Minimum Wager, won the Woody Guthrie songwriting competition back in 2002. He's also quite adept at writing story songs. What I'm going to play for you is a piece of a song called Grandpa played softball, and and sometimes I think a lyric, a song can just hang on one lyric, and there's a lyric in the chorus where it says, "Grandpa played softball in this old hardball world." Just a great piece of writing. So let's listen to uh, "Grandpa played softball," and then we'll talk to Chuck about the new CD, which is called "Creatures of Habit." My daddy was a soldier. Taught me how to make a fist. My mama used to hear my prayers Give me a goodnight kiss Grandma taught me how to whistle Uncle David gave me my nickname Grandpa gave me the greatest gift Taught me how to play the game Grandpa 
big man, 6'6 265, with a back as strong and arm as long as any man ever alive. Grandpa was a mailman, down around New Orleans. When the sun went down, he went up on the mound for the post office softball team. When the fields all lit, me and Grandma sitting in rickety old wooden stands. And one by one, the battles would come to face that giant of a man. Round and round, he had a wind-up, sounded like a hurricane ready to blow. But when he released, the ball would ease on out, kind of slippery and slow. Grandpa played softball, caught a lot of folks off guard. Said the pitch that wins, the one that spins, and a fool could throw the ball hard. Made a nine-year-old feel ten feet tall, made grandma feel like a girl. Grandpa played softball in this old hardball world. So on the intro to this episode, I played a little bit of Grandpa Played Softball. And I love that line, Grandpa Played soft, played Softball in This Old Hardball World. I think that, that, that lyric just kind of pulls the song together. And what I wanted to find out was how much of that song is true and kind of how that song kind of come together. Because I like story songs, and I love your story songs. Yeah. So well, let's start with uh, that. I was raised off and on in uh, Pensacola, Florida. My, my mom was from there. And my dad was from the Bay Area here. They met when uh, he went out for flight school in uh, World War II. And so every time my dad would go overseas, uh, which was uh, more frequently than than, uh, we would have liked, I went back uh, with my mom and my siblings Mm -hmm. and lived with my grandparents. And uh, uh, my grandfather worked for the post office. He was postmaster Mm -hmm. at one of the branches Mm -hmm. in Pensacola. And uh, they had a softball team. <clears throat> and my uncle David and I used to go to the softball games. Mm-hmm. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, my grandfather never played softball, or if he did, it wasn't on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, we, but we, our, our, our being there was important to mm-hmm. the team. You know, mm-hmm. so we would go, and, and it was a walk too. You know, from from where we lived down to the park. And uh, we, we'd uh, root for the the post office softball team. You know, and it just seemed like a song to me. You know, yeah. and it was such an important part of our social life. And and uh, and I, I, there's so many great stories for me that that, that went around uh, the, those games. Um, and and it, I was just fascinated because I don't think I'd ever seen you know a live baseball game or, or you know semi pro sports of mm-hmm. any kind. You know. And it was all played at night because it was in, in the south and it was all hot. And, you uh, had to play at night. Yeah, warm. And, and the lights would come on and the, it was all red dirt, you know. So it was pretty and, exciting, especially for a kid. Well, it was great, yeah. And uh, the, all the hollering and, you know, following the action, you know. And uh, and the team, the names of the teams were like uh, um, the Pensacola Rug and Shade, you know, <laughs> the Feed and Fuel. And, <clears throat> God, you know. Sod, sod seed and uh, butcher company. Uh, just and just gas uh, and tire rotation. Uh, yeah, yeah, just just uh, kind of funky down home. None, none of it was real, 
Uh, Very unpretentious. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they weren't into marketing yeah, themselves. Yeah. You know, they just described what they did, and that's right. what they called the business. You know, but they would muster a team. Yeah. And send them out to play. You know, they had a little league of some sort. And, wow. And then <laughs> and a guy would whip that ball yeah. round and round. And, you know, I never seen anything like that. You know. My grandfather would holler. He was a big old hillbilly. Oh, like Jerry Clower. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know uh-huh. Jerry Clower. Oh, yeah. oh, that's very southern. He'd he'd get excited and tell a story. He'd go, Oh, mercy, mercy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he, was, he was just a big, big supporter of the team and the whole event and the yeah, whole scene. Yeah, yeah he was. He, his his being there was important to the team, and yeah. you know, we just we my uncle David and I tagged along. Yeah. Of course, I was tagging along with my uncle David everywhere in those days. Well, in that song, it's, it's a good example of a song. It's You start out with one tiny little kernel, something that happened or true, and you build this whole story around it. Yeah, yeah well, it, there was. I was learning a lot about, you know, what what it, what it is to be a man, you know, or what it is to be a, a citizen, you know, mm-hmm. that you're a part of something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're part of, uh, I, I was in some remote way a part of this baseball team because my grandfather was, you know. When you were there, you were part of the spectators watching the game? Well, people would come over and, and through the fence to say hello to my grandfather, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. and we got to bask in some of his celebrity, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, in my mind, it wasn't much of a stretch for him to be on the team. Sure. You know? <laughs> but it is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> what did Rodney Krause say? He goes, I only lie when it has to rhyme. Yeah, that's good. I think it was Mark Twain that said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's good, too. You know, so this I, song's a perfect example I've of that. I've lived by that. <laughs> yeah. So when did music come along? Or was it always there? Well, it was, was it a all, musical family, or was it... it my mother played piano. In fact, uh, there's, there's, she was supposed to have been a concert pianist, I guess, at one time, you know. And she also played clarinet in the marching band mm-hmm. and stuff. So she was very musical. And my dad played in a dance band and worked worked his way through college, back in the '30s, doing that. I have a wonderful picture of, of him with about a 15-piece uh, band. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, so the the radio was always on. Um, my dad, I guess, turned into kind of a snob. Jazz was all he had listened to. <laughs> but my mother, you know, uh, I owe it all to her, I suppose. Uh, you know, she sang me lullabies, okay. and uh, um, uh, she she could identify classical pieces when they came on. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and she knew a uh, whole lot of songs that that you know that she would just sing around the house. You know, like college fight songs mm-hmm. and. Like uh, in what uh, I remember in in one of the Dick Tracy comic strips, there was some character that that used to say "bula bula bula bula" all the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't, so I said, "What's what's bula bula?" She says, "Bula bula bula bula." Da, 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 da. I said, "What's that? Uh, uh, Yale or I don't know? <laughs> Somebody's some fight, song. fight song." But she knew, you know, stuff like that 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 was. You know, the, the music and its origins kind of opened up mm-hmm. uh, through my mom. You know. and, it, and it stayed, obviously. Huh? And it stayed, obviously. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it just became a piece of the knowledge. And, and, I don't know, it's something you grow up with. And I, and I was lucky, too, to grow up in a time when, well, my grandfather, you know, for instance, he, he listened to the Grand Ole Opry every mm-hmm. Saturday night, and I'd sit down and listen to it with him. You know? mm-hmm. And I remember when Hank Williams died, and I remember all you know, this was important stuff. Mm-hmm. Music had um, it had history and it had importance, and 
And of course, both of my folks were absolutely flabbergasted when I decided to, to take it up as some kind of career. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the worst thing that could possibly <laughs> yeah. happen. They knew more about it than I did, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it was, if it had been the violin, you know, I could have played it in the house probably, but being, right. being the guitar, I had to play it in the garage. Uh, really? So, yeah. yeah, so in high school was when, 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 in fact, they tried to get me to, to take up uh, Hawaiian lap steel when I was about maybe eight or nine years old. Really? Yeah, and it didn't take at all. You mm-hmm. know, I, you know, it was it was awful. It was time away from play. You know, yeah. As far as I was concerned, but uh, then when it did hit me when I was I don't know maybe fifteen, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it, it took over real fast. You know. But it was a time of you know, the Kingston Trio and you know, things were you know, the great folk scares. Stuff like that was yeah. on the radio. You know, okay. you could hear Tom Dooley and you know uh, the Tijuana Jail and stuff mm-hmm. like you could hear that on the radio. And so, uh, and all the kids were doing it. And the, and the Hawaiian kids had ukes around the pool, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, I kind of grew up on Navy bases. Uh, in addition to uh, you know my grandparents, uh, is that where the meat in the can song comes from? <laughs> <laughs> that is very Hawaiian, isn't it? It is. It is. <clears throat> my wife's from Maui. Oh, okay. Way. Yeah. So actually, Jay Howlett gave me that idea, the meat in the can thing. He said, "I've been working on a song called Meats in the Can." I said, "Oh wow, that's great." Mm-hmm. So, so he he wrote his version and I wrote mine, but. Uh, you know, and and to be perfectly honest, he deserves half the credit for mm-hmm. for my versions, just because he gave me the idea. You know, that's on the new CD. Yeah, yeah. I like how the fact that I don't think you, you use the word spam. The song's called "Meeting the Cam." I don't think the word spam's in the entire. Song. So somebody's mentioned that too. Yeah, uh, yeah that, you you're kind of waiting for it. So keep you listening to the song. Spam. It's not in there. Yeah, it was clever. <laughs> yeah. You could pretend it was intentional, and it was clever, or it was. Well, well I, in some version, I'm sure spam was in it. You know? Sure. It was just yeah. the first thing you think of. Yeah. So when did you become a Bay Area guy? How would you get out this way? Well, my dad was from the Bay Area originally. Oh, okay. He grew up in Burlingame. So uh, when he retired from the Navy, you know, then we moved back here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept traveling, you know, for the next 20 years. I mean, I was here with the family for a year or so. And then uh, uh, I was out of the house mm-hmm. and uh, had my first professional band then. Mm-hmm. I was uh, 19 or 20. I was the youngest guy in the band, and the the, the older guys kind of led me down the rosy path. We moved to L.A. right away. We got you know a recording contract, and we had an agent and a mm-hmm. manager and all that stuff. Um, what was the band called? The Slippery Rock String Band. It's a bluegrass band. Okay. I played banjo in that band. Oh, okay. yeah, banjo and fiddle, up, upright bass and guitar, and, and we were managed by the guy that had the Dillards. If you, I don't know yeah, if you yeah. know the Dillards, uh, and we were kind of like a bush league version of the of mm-hmm. the Dillards, and the comedy was probably as important as as the music, mm-hmm. and uh, so we 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 got. <laughs> Basically, we got all the old gigs that the Dillards didn't want anymore, so we played bowling alleys and pizza parlors and Air Force bases. Gotta love playing them pizza parlors. <laughs> yeah. hey, it was a big deal then, but there was oh, there was music everywhere. Yeah. And, and of course, when I, when I stopped, when that band fell apart, um, my my best friend, Lee, Lee Cheney, Lightning Leroy, uh, moved back to the Bay Area, and um, he got married and did all the right things, and I kept going. 
kept traveling, uh, uh, but you know, it just seemed like someplace I should be because my parents were here and my best friend mm-hmm. was here, and so I kept coming back to the Bay Area. He roots kind of moved out this way and stayed. Yeah, here. yeah. So, and, and even when I was on the road, you know, a good six, eight months out of the year, um, I still kept a place in. I mean, rent was like $75 a month in those days. So I, I had a converted garage behind uh, this little old lady's house over in uh, East San Jose. And I just kept all my stuff there, you know. It was, it was affordable and it was a place to keep yeah, on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always came back and, mm-hmm. you know, I'd do summers in, on Cape Cod and, and winters in the ski mm-hmm. ski areas and uh, steamboat. And so you played the road for a long, you played the road for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it was it was never the kind of thing where I was on the road permanently. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had kind of a home base to go to. Like when when I went to when I'd go to Cape Cod, I had a place to stay. You know, and I stayed there for three or four months. So you weren't hoteling it around the year. country like a lot of people. No, and I did I did stay in you know, like Holiday Inns and things yeah. when when we played those places. But mm-hmm. typically they book for more than uh, you know I was a couple weeks at a time anyhow sometimes a month and ski places we'd go for a month or or two or, so you weren't constantly unpacking and packing yeah, talk, it, it, you know, it I talked to a lot of people and they said the hard like I think when I interviewed Gypsy Soul last earlier this year and they said the hard part was you know because they're, they're basically hoteling it when they go on the road and it's like pull up unload everything out of the car load it in the hotel room the next morning load it back into the car and if you can get away from that a little bit it probably makes it a whole yeah. lot easier I, I felt like I was at home wherever Different I places. went you know? yeah good yeah, yeah. It, it was well Leroy used to say it's a great life if you don't weaken you know? <laughs> yeah, <tough> enough. <laughs> I'm feeling weakened these days you know I have no desire to go live that life again but you know, everybody's hoping for a little success. So sure. It's fun to go out, you know, like Rolf and I and Jay are going for, for like three or four days mm-hmm. next week. And, uh, or That's the, the post office? End of this month, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, That's uh, a fun place. Yeah. Nice it, people up it's there. It's a nice little place. Yeah. yeah. It, the place has been like second home for us. I, I Sounds like it, yeah. I can't believe how many times if, you know, they want to hear the same songs, <laughs> the same jokes. Well, people like the songs, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and if, if the jokes work over and over, what the heck? Yeah, really. Yeah. Says maybe they've forgotten them, you know. Maybe, yeah. Uh, it was funny when I was playing at the, um, the post office. It was me and my friend Jim Dyer, and then his friend Tori, who sings harmony in his band, she came along. So it was the three of us up on stools, really just trading songs, and it, it worked up there. It worked really well. And, and all of a sudden I thought, I wonder how Blah Blah Wolf Wolf got started. Was it a couple of you guys doing something like that? And all of a sudden it was like, can we take our own songs on the road and do this sort of as a group? Or so it's you and Jay Hallett, Steve Kritzer, Rolf was Rolf. kind of like the linchpin for some of yeah, it. Wasn't yeah, it? well, he had the studio where where okay, but well, Kritzer never recorded. And I guess for the podcast is what is Blah Blah Wolf Wolf? Well, it's, uh, what do you mean? What is what does it? What, what what's its origin? Or, yeah, or, or, or what, what is it? What is it? It's a loosely knit. <laughs> congregation of uh, four or five uh, songwriters who just kind of had mutual interest mm-hmm. and uh, and a logo. <laughs> so <laughs> they had the logo. Jay's well, wife, like me, yeah, really. Is it, well, it's just kind of a folk. And you're actually wearing it today as we speak. It, yes, right. It's, we've it's got shirts dog. and stickers that you can put on your lunchbox. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of stuff. And a website, which is never up to date. I think I still have a mustache on that website. uh, (laughs) A little dated. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of good intentions and probably not a lot of, you know, we've got more dreams than we we have to do. And um, 
So, so it's it's a oh, we've got a booth. We go to trade shows. Well, we, we set up a ten by ten. Yeah, it's a beautiful. You've got stickers, a logo, and a booth. It's like, what yeah, else do you need? Yeah, yeah we're yeah. there. Um, yeah, we just started doing songwriters in the round. And okay, we figured yeah. that, uh, that there were enough of us that it would be an interesting thing. For and you gave people, it a name for people to see one thing and then another. Mm-hmm. And then gradually, as we started doing the same songs, uh, we started chiming in on harmonies, and the mm-hmm. uh, would put down a guitar and pick up the mandolin, yeah. you know, or sometimes I pick up the banjo even, and and we just kind of fleshed it out, and it, it started to started to look like a group. If we ever rehearsed, it, it would it would be <laughs> a group, you know. Uh, it, but it, I think it comes across well. You know, we've got you know maybe uh, fifteen or twenty songs that we do. That everybody knows, mm-hmm. you know, or they've heard enough that uh, that they can throw in a little extra part. And I saw your show. Was it the barn back? Was it May when you guys played? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really. It yeah. was a great show. Yeah, mm-hmm. go figure. You know, but but you know, I guess it has to do with doing the same stuff again and again. And the chemistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, we enjoy each other. We and we we've learned not to step on each other's lines. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's my turn. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So your last album, Sweet Reunion, as I think, when, when, and you signed my copy and you said, don't forget your roots. That's more of a, there were a lot of songs that seemed rooted in family or kind of where you came from. There was a lot of that a song about your dad or somebody's dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's my dad for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my dad passed away in 01 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, left, uh, Left a vacancy, and, and my mom's gone now too. Mm-hmm. But uh, you start to realize that at a certain point that uh, things that you always took for granted, like uh, being able to call them up and ask them, um, well, "Now, what was uh, Aunt So and So's? Where did she exactly come from? Or, about. You know, what did her husband do for a living?" Or yeah. there's nobody to ask now, yeah. you know, because both my folks are gone, and um, you know, uh, my. Uh, I've still got a couple of uncles and aunts, uh, and uh, no grandparents, mm-hmm. obviously. And, but uh, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty valuable thing to have uh, some touch with your past. You know, mm-hmm. so I've, I've I've inherited family albums, and I go through them, and and uh, you know, there are a whole lot of people in there that I don't, I couldn't tell you who they are. You know? It's not just me, but it has those feelings. Yeah. Well, I think it probably, probably it happens to all of us. You know, we reach certain age. I think when it happens to you, it kind of like you feel like you're the only one that's happened to. Because my, my mom passed away in '92, really young, and she was the one that knew that knew everybody, cousins, and she yeah. was basically literally she was my. If I went to a family get to, she was my cliff notes. I'd walk around with her and go, "Hi, how you doing?" And really, I'd ask her who these people were. She passed, and um, my dad's still around, but my mom was the one that knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And then her only sister, my aunt, passed away in September, and I was over at my cousin's house. My uncle's still there, fortunately, and and we were going through all the family albums, and I was looking at and looking at all these photographs that nobody knew who they were, and all of a sudden, I, out loud, I said, "The stories are all gone." Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I got this thing in the back of my mind. I got to go through these photographs at some point and just make up a bunch of stories, make up, <laughs> make up some roots. Yeah, you know, and I think that'll that'll help me a little bit. But you're right, though, when that when that you, you lose that tide of the past. Um, see, my my father was an old, only child, mm-hmm. but um, I have a cousin from his side, and and I was, I, was, I couldn't put the genealogy for for it together for you right now, but. Uh, 
uh, her, let me see, my, the, her mother was my grandmother's sister, and I think that's how it goes, on my father's side. And they lived in New York. Mm-hmm. And I went and visited, um, uh, I think she had gone by then, but my Uncle Lou lived in New York City, which is totally foreign to both my mother's side of the family mm-hmm. and, and my mm-hmm. father's, who, who you know, like, he, he was the product of, of three brothers who grew up on the West Coast after they came from uh, from New York, from upstate New York. So all, all of a sudden in, in a family album, I've got all these pictures of people uh, in, in New York, uh, in Yonkers, and then, um, you know, it's, this is where the McCabe's got off the boat, the, sure. the Irish side of the family. You know? All so, of our folks did. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, my mother's side of the family was in this in this country since before uh, the Revolutionary War. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they came from, down from Pennsylvania and Ohio and gradually migrated down toward mm-hmm. the south where land was more affordable. Right, and they, right. You know, they were a bunch of farmers anyway. But um, anyway, to, to, just to see these people. And, and, and fortunately, I'm still in touch with this cousin. She's a few years older than I am. Uh, but uh, and I was trying to figure out who's who in these family albums. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, it's a it's a mind boggler, you know. Yeah. Especially when your sources dry up. Like yeah, that's say. it. Yeah. <laughs> so the, so the last album was Family and Roots. Um, so the, the new record, which is now, do we still call them records? I still call I them. I don't records. know. I call them an album anyway. Uh, I don't know if it's a record. You can't call it CD. Yeah. Um, someone told me that like they like the term record because it's a record of how that song sounded that day and that when you recorded it, I'm like, I can live with that. The files. The files, yeah. The files are here. You figure out the separate files sounded when we put them together in, in, in whatever editing software we used. It sounds very organic, doesn't it? Yeah. So, Creatures of Habit and a World of Change. Is there a theme to this record or is it just the latest yeah, batch of songs? Or well, uh, is it kind of where you are now? Yeah, well, that's what I'm feeling. You know, uh, uh, this is the longest... That I've uh, stuck around one location and in, in, uh, in my whole life, you know? yeah. so I've seen some changes. You know, I've seen. Well, I guess the the, the idea came to me uh, driving down Bascom Avenue, or, or mm-hmm. maybe it was Hamilton one day. You know, one of the key streets in mm-hmm. in, uh, in San Jose, and uh, I came to an intersection, and all the buildings had changed. You know, they'd torn down everything that I identified this way. You know, I don't read the street signs anymore as I drive down the main drag. I know mm-hmm. where I am by what's there, you know. And all of a sudden... The landmarks are it, gone. It was all gone. And the new buildings were up and everything. And, and just for a minute, I didn't know where the hell I was. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very strange sensation. It's it a common feeling, too. It, well, It's still here in this town. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. It's probably true everywhere. I think so. Population-wise, we're exploding. You know? Yeah. But uh, in an area that's as financially successful, even in bad times, uh, you know, the Silicon Valley is still managing. To, well, right now, you know, the rest of the world's uh, in bad shape. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's always a new cold somewhere. There's there, always a company. Yeah. You well, the, the the high tech uh, industry is booming. Yeah. So. Um, uh, there's there used to be at the corner of um, well it's one block down from Bascom and Hamilton uh, uh, a, a beautiful old Chinese restaurant called mm-hmm. Fung Lum hmm. which means uh, it's a, a terrible sounding name but um, but it means uh, maple grove hmm. I think in Chinese 
Chinese family came over and had this building built, and and it was beams and tiles that were all fired, and they were this this terracotta. Well, they were orange. Mm-hmm. They were glazed. They were orange and green, and um, and so they put up this this pagoda right on the corner. And, and I remember had, that place. It had little little uh, arched bridges. Mm-hmm. So it looked like a blue willow plate, you know, mm-hmm. Chinese plate, little scene, you know, with a pagoda and and um, and a little stream running through the front of it and everything. And it was just just lovely. And you could always tell people, you know, go till you see the Chinese pagoda on the corner there. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was like a landmark, you know. Bam, it's gone now, and there's a Starbucks there. I was going was, was to make some crack about it. How do you get there? You go go down to the Starbucks, make, yeah. a, right, make a right, go down two Starbucks, make a left of the Starbucks, and now it's yeah. a Starbucks. Uh, uh, something else. Yeah. But anyway, that that's when it really struck me that, that I was a creature of habit, you know, in, mm-hmm. in this world of change. And I uh, started writing some songs, um, and, and it just seemed like the themes all kind of fell in place, you know, because yeah. said, I have fr- some friends that work in the construction business, and when times got tough a few years ago, uh, I actually, I went to work for one of them, and uh, we'd be, I'd be get up at the crack of dawn, and I'd be hitting the road to go down to this, this uh, condominium uh, renovation thing. They were tearing, they were gutting these apartments and putting in new appliances and things and painting them, and selling them for a million dollars a piece. My realtor calls that putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> so it was too, yeah. you know. We, we left the dry rot right where it yeah. was, painted it, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'd be going down the freeway with with a whole bunch of guys, you know, with the with the ladders on the top. But so the, the lyric goes. Uh, in my pickup truck with the buckets in the back and the ladder and rack on top, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we kind of built on that theme, you know. Um, th- those are creatures of habit, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, pe- people get attached to, well, I'd rather be in Reading, you know. They, yeah. That, that people get attached to places, ideas. Well, um, there's there's something comforting about, and again, back to this other song we talked about, even though it's not the healthiest stuff in the world, there's something comforting about opening the can of meat and frying <laughs> up spam because it takes you back to when you were four or five, seven. I mean, it's comfort food, and it's and that stuff always tastes the same and it never changes. My, so we- that, that, my, my weakness is corned beef hash. We love that you know, stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. It, it, uh, a couple of eggs on top of that uh-huh. and some hash browns. Man, mm. I'm, I'm there. Comfort food. Yeah, yeah. And I order it in restaurants when I'm on... Sometimes it's a wicked surprise, you know. So sometimes they make their own. And, yeah, just open the can so I know how it tastes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. You now what, Mary Kitchen, isn't that who makes a... Uh, they make a roast beef hash and a corned beef hash. Hormel makes it too. And yeah. the great packing powerhouse of the Midwest. <laughs> With a little key on top. Yeah, well, I had a friend who... Uh, who worked in a slaughterhouse for one day. <laughs> and now he's a vegan? It, no. Well, his friend, probably. His, he, has, he and his buddy got got jobs there. And his friend, uh, I guess his dad had something to do with uh, running the place. He got him jobs, uh, uh, for, uh, summer jobs you know, during high school. So his first day on the job, which was his last day, uh, they put him uh, in charge of hot dogs, I think it was. And he was they, they gave him uh, hip waders and a white suit and a shovel. He said, and there was a hole in the wall. And he said, uh, everything that comes down that conveyor belt is small enough to fit through that hole in the wall. That's where it goes. <laughs> I'm glad I ate already. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, <laughs> meat in the can. Yeah. We, we don't want to know, right? We don't want to know. It, it tastes good. We don't want to read the ingredients. Don't want a picture. Lips, ears, noses. Yeah. So it's a whole album full of comfort food songs, I guess. <laughs> next is not what that's what I'm thinking. The next album is going to be all food songs. You told me about that before. Was it left? Is it leftovers? Is that kind of the theme, or they are deliberately food songs? Well, no, there'll be a few leftovers because because yeah. I've always done food songs. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I got a lot of heat from some critics, you know, the, saying, you know, this guy doesn't write about love; he writes about food. You know, well, what? What's the difference, I say? Yeah. Food is love. It is. Well, let's hear a couple of things. Okay. Food is love. And now I'm hungry all of a sudden. Why is that? Anyway, that was part one of my two-part interview with singer-songwriter Chuck McCabe. And again, to remind you, he'll be at the True Wind Music House Concert Series this Friday evening, July 25th, in Campbell, California. And the following night, he'll be at the Canyon Acoustic Society House Concert Series in Royal Oaks, California, July 26th. To find out more information about those two events, you can go to my site, michaelgaither.com, and there were links under the little Chuck McCabe entry. You can make reservations for those concerts and see Chuck for two nights in a row. If you'd like, I'd recommend that. But we're not done yet with this podcast. You know the routine by now. We've just talked with Chuck about his roots, his family, kind of where the songs come from, and the new release, Creatures of Habit and a World of Change. And now we're going to hear a couple of things, so stick around. If you're on my website, click on the next link for episode number 38. If you're up in iTunes, you'll get the new episode probably in a week or so. And if you're back in Baltimore picking this up on Grateful Dread Radio on Friday evenings, thanks for tuning in. And you'll probably hear part two next Friday evening. If you have any comments about this particular episode, you all can send me an email at michael at michaelgaither.com. Or if you want to find out about these podcasts as I post them, as well as my own tour and show information, you can go to michaelgaither.com, go to the contact page, and sign up for my email list and let you know what's going on. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Take care.